Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. I'm in our online podcast studio with my friend, Brian Barano. Brian, how are you doing? It's great, man. It's been a great day so far. I agree. I agree. Well, Brian is the lead student pastor at First Baptist in Enterprise, Alabama. He has been a youth pastor for 22 years. He and his wife have two kids. Brian also recently completed his Doctor of Education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and his dissertation was entitled Technology-Mediated Ministry and Its Implications for Local Church Discipleship. It's a really interesting topic, especially in this post-COVID lockdown world. And you'll be seeing some articles on YPT's website about that from him, and hopefully in some other publications about that work. So, Brian, really thankful for for your work talking about technology and ministry. Looking forward to this conversation today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's my joy. So, uh, it's always fun to get to know our guests as their teenage selves. So, uh, Brian, what sort of teenager were you? What were you into? Sports, clubs, theater? Um, what sort of teenager was Brian Barano? Okay, so because I'm I'm an old man in youth ministry now, um, I was back in the day when everybody had a letter jacket, right? Oh, so yes. Leather I, love, sleeve, I still have yeah, mine. Yes. Yeah. I do too. I have mine. It's yep. hanging in my closet. Yep. Uh, so I lettered for on in three different activities. Notice I didn't yep. say sports. Activities yep. Yep. in high school. Football. Awesome. Yep. Uh, track. Yep. Uh, obviously, I look like a guy that runs really fast. Oh, yes. Um, I threw, Me too. threw large, heavy things and big, pointy sticks. Um, and then I lettered in Quiz Bowl. What I'm some sorry, people know is Scholar Bowl. Quiz I didn't bowl. even know they. Yes, I what didn't even know they gave nerd. letters for that. I know. See, <laughs> so, so in high school, I was a weirdo. Like, <laughs> senior year, the award that I won for my senior football season was not best athlete. Like, it was not any of that. It was, I won the uh, Athletic Scholar Award for the <laughs> highest GPA on the football team. <laughs> So, oh, like, you want to know who I was as a teenager? That's what it was. I had a foot in both worlds. I was an athlete, and I was on the quiz bowl team. I love that. Okay, so I also um, football, football all four years, and track. I also threw large, heavy things and round, flying things. I did yes. not throw the long, pointy thing. My my throwing coach. I'm still bitter about this. Um, he was, he was a sketchy dude. He really only coached the girls and they would be like, guys, can you please try to practice with us as much as possible? Because he makes us uncomfortable. Uh That's a whole other story. Um, he wouldn't even let me try the jab. He was like, he he looked me up and down. was like, no, you don't have a jab on the thrower body. And I was like, dude, (laughs) harsh. (laughs) 
The only so. reason I threw it was because we had a guy go down with a knee injury during football season and couldn't <laughs> he would, throw. He wouldn't even let season. me try it. And he yeah. tried, and he's like, okay. He's like, we have to have another guy. Like, it'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. Uh, my I mean, thing he was wasn't the wrong. Shot. Right. Yeah, mine my was thing the was the shot. I preferred that. Disc, yeah. I was okay. Yeah. Jab, it was fun. Um, yeah. The interesting thing is, is so I get to Enterprise Alabama ten years ago, and um, and uh, we're the big one of the biggest high schools in Alabama. But you know, mm-hmm. we had a track team, but we had no track. Yeah. Okay. And so that like our track team was way underfunded, and they're like, "Hey, we need a coach for the field, like for the field events. We don't know yep. how to do any of that." And I yep. was like, "Hey." Like, I'm a youth pastor in town, but I threw it in high school, and then I taught before I went to seminary, and I'm like, I coached track. Yeah. And so I ended up doing that for a couple of seasons, was being yeah. their, their, their field event coach. And they got, really, they got really weird looks in their eyes when I said, hey, I can also coach long jump, triple jump, and, and um, pole vault. And they went, the head coach looked at me, and he's like, have you ever pole sorry, vaulted what? in your life? And I said, that's not what I said. I said, I can coach it. I didn't say I knew how to do it. <laughs> oh, I don't think they make a pole that can support me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm sorry just, for know, laughing at that. Things. I just feel, I, I feel everything that you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. get it. Like, I know yeah. the techniques, but I'm not going to do it. So fun fun facts. We do actually have a topic for this episode other than track and field glory days. But right. I I um got an award my senior year for being the heaviest high jumper on the team because we needed our, our guy who was on the yep. high jump team who was really good. He also did a bunch of hurdles, uh, which frequently happened the same time as the high jump. Correct. And he would often roll in and make up his jumps right after his hurdles. So he was exhausted. So they needed more people in the rotation to space things out for him. And I was available. Uh-huh. And I never <laughs> cleared the bar. But I was no. a high school high jumper. Yeah, yeah, true story. So, I, I, And I was also a band geek, but I quit after sophomore year. So yeah, I understand the whole, am I a jock or am I a geek? Yeah, anyway. So, yeah. uh, Brian... We're just well-rounded. Yes. That's that's what I say. We're just I mean, if you can see my head, my head is very well-rounded. <laughs> very well, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you. I feel you. Okay, well, today uh, we are talking about something that uh, both you and I are very passionate about. Uh, not just youth ministry, but ministry to students with special needs and special education and that whole field. Uh, so... Uh, every church has students with a variety of special education needs, uh, but our youth ministries are often under-equipped to appropriately minister to these students and their families. Uh, very few youth workers um, have ever studied special education and um, what, uh, what, what sorts of accommodations can we make in our ministries. Uh, our ministry budgets are tight. Uh, every youth group <laughs> is struggling to recruit and to train volunteers. Um, so how do we make these accommodations in our ministries that students are accustomed to and that parents expect in schools? And um, it can cause to some some frustration, some discouragement, and just general, general confusion. So I think it's important for us to talk through. Um, so Brian, can you just talk us through theologically um, 
what is the what can youth workers think through theologically about just the reality and the existence of these special needs and diagnoses? And I I, I think it's important to state up front that I think most youth workers understand a lot of what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. but they've never applied it to those that like that are on a 504 plan or an IEP, yep. which yep. is an individual education plan in the in in the local schools because most youth workers don't deal with learning disabilities so they don't think about it so what i want to do is i want to lay out essentially a theology of personhood um but apply learning disabilities to that so that they can begin to think and watch and see and then there's some specific verses that i think that we've read before that we've not hey okay that really does apply directly. So, I mean, when you see in Genesis, God created us in what? The image of God, right? Mm -hmm. And so every person, regardless of who you are, has been created in the image of God, meaning that we we mirror some of those characteristics of God. Now, not all of them, but we are. Mm -hmm. We all have worth. I mean, just like... um, uh, you know, it says in Psalms, we Psalm one thirty nine, we've been um, fearfully and wonderfully, or remarkably, remarkably and wonderfully made. So mm-hmm. all of that applies, regardless of who the people are. Yeah. Um, but here's the problem: most people that have disabilities that affect their learning, um, automatically think that people look down on them because they're deficient. In how they learn. And so there's, I, I, not to get into self-esteem, but there really is a self-esteem issue with a lot of people that have learning disabilities. Yeah. Um, because people don't understand them, they think, they in their minds, they believe that yeah. um, I am not worth the same to God as other people. Yeah. Or, or if they do believe that they're worth the same, they believe, hey, I don't, no one is ever going to understand me. Mm-hmm. And at least on a personal, from a personal standpoint, for me, I live in a house with multiple people that have learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. So I live that reality every single day of my life. Um, and they're not the same. It's different. But I mean, that's the, it's called in, in like educational psychology, it's called theory of mind. Mm-hmm. How you think about yourself and how you think other people think about you. And people with learning disabilities, they've done studies that their theory of mind is delayed compared to people that uh, think typically. So a couple of important words for us today are neurotypical. So those are people whose brains think and process and store information in the way that God intended. Like, so a brain that is not, that works the way it's supposed to. And then you have neurodivergent. So those are people that have learning disabilities, and that affects the way that they take in information, process that information, and then store it in their brain. So as we think about it, and it says, you know, Romans 12, you know, renew your mind. And so it's very easy for a neurotypical person to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to do at times, even for the neurotypical person. But the neurodivergent person can, depending on what their learning disability is, can really struggle with that. Yeah. Because 
their minds don't work the way a typical mind works. Right. Um, and so for them, when they hear that, they're like, dude, I have problems with just everyday things. How am I ever going to renew my mind the way that God wants me to? Mm-hmm. In fact, I have had that conversation with a neurodivergent learner that is a student in our student ministry right now. Um, and she believes in Jesus. Like if she died today, she was going to be in heaven. Like she will be in eternity with me, but she still really struggles with, you know, why did God make me this way? Um, because my friends don't understand how my mind works mm-hmm. and they pick on me because of it. And I wish yeah. God would have just taken this from me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and, and then we start, talking about um, about parents as well. So mm-hmm. I love Dr. Uh, Stephen uh, Gersevich. Um, if you're looking him up, it's G-R-C-E-V-I-C-H. Um, That's not he, enough vowels. I, I know, Gersevich. <laughs> um, but he, in his book, Mental Health in the Church, he, yeah. makes, he, he makes the statement, which I love, Inclusion ministry is family ministry. Yes. So when we're talking about how do we include students, teenagers that have learning disabilities, that have disabilities in general, including them into the body of Christ is family ministry. Yes. Because this is not just a conversation about students. This is a conversation about their parents as well. Because I'm going to tell you, parents struggle. Yeah. And how do we know that? We actually have an example of that in the Bible. In John 9, they roll up on a disabled man. And what do the disciples ask? They don't ask, hey, Jesus, are you about to heal this dude? Hey, Jesus, what are you about to do? They ask, who sinned, that dude or his parents? Mm. And I think we feel that in the church, man. There's so many people. And I've, I've had yeah. church members ask me yeah. about one of my sons, well, you just need to spank him more. You just need to discipline him more. Um, yeah. You just need to do this or you just yep. need to do that. It's really your fault. Yep. And I can't tell you the number of parents that I've talked to that both the parent and the student want their disability to continue to be invisible. Yeah. They don't want anybody to know because they don't want judgment, like the disciples exhibited in John 9. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is when you get to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, right? So 12 starts talking about unity and diversity in the body. And it, and it, it says we've all been baptized into one spirit. So if we all, yeah. if we believe in Jesus, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's our proof. That's our deposit that one day we're going to be in heaven with him for eternity. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it also, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 16, 26 tells us uniformity is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And I think a lot of times we think, okay, that's race, that's socioeconomic status. Um that's geographical location. Yeah. But it's also how we think. It's yeah. also the neurology up here. That's and good. so there is a diversity in the kingdom. 
of heaven, a neurodiversity where neurotypical and neurodivergent learners can be in the same body of Christ at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it talks about in verses 22 through 24, it talks about the lesser parts, the parts that get less honor and less respect should be clothed with greater honor and greater respect. And I think in a lot of ways, those are the students that we have that have learning disabilities. Yeah. That we need to honor and respect them. Because because if their brains work differently, they're going to see things differently than a neurotypical learner is. Right. They're going to be able to respond and care and love for people differently than a neurotypical learner can. You know, and it even says that it goes on in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about um, maturing as a believer. Um, and, and it talks about love. So it says love bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all things. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you a better verse for somebody that has learning disabilities, that mm-hmm. struggles to learn. Because the love of Christ, what it says in the great commandment, right? Love God with all that you are and Mm -hmm. love others as yourself. And those two types of love can overcome a multitude of wrong feelings about self and about how others believe about self. Um, And so that's really what we have to do as the church is to love others, love God, and from Mm -hmm. that love, love others that have learning disabilities. Yeah. Um, and if you really want to see a picture, and, and it's not exact, but I love this verse. So 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12, it talks about maturing as a believer. So spiritual formation, discipleship. So mm-hmm. it talks about in 11, maturing as a believer. But then in 12, it talks about seeing in a mirror dimly. And I think a lot of times, like that's, that is a verse that I have used to explain learning disabilities to people that are neurotypical learners, is that whatever their specific disability is, they are looking into a mirror dimly. Yeah. And they're not going to see clearly the way a neurotypical learner would. And yeah. those disabilities can run the gamut. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about, like, what the different disabilities are, some of the things that could pop up in youth ministry, but yeah. Yeah. So let, let's get there um, in context of how can youth workers better care for students who, who have uh, mild to moderate disabilities who are more likely to be yep. um, a part of our regular programming. And then other students with more um, severe disabilities are, are probably going to really struggle and, not be so involved in the programming, but they're still part of our church and part of our faith family. So how can we minister to those? So so can you just walk us through a little bit um, for for the students on the the mild, moderate um, side of of things, what should we be aware of? And what does ministry to those students look like? So... Now, there's a lot of variation. So let me just say this up front. With students that have been diagnosed with learning disabilities, there is a majority of them that actually have two or more disabilities. Yes, yes. So so like learning disabilities-wise, you have dyslexia, which is 
problems processing written word and reading. You have mm-hmm. dysgraphia, which is problems processing um, uh, usually math problems. This shows up then, but it also is a disconnect between the brain and um, and uh, and writing. So your handwriting is just all over the place. Letters mm-hmm. don't connect, and uh, you have dis dis um, uh, dyscalculia, which is you look at numbers and you don't like you your brain just cannot process numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have dyspraxia, which is your body does not process the um, the impulses to move. So you have issues with fine motor skills. You have mm-hmm. issues with moving fingers, feet, that type of thing. Uh, ADHD is actually not considered a learning disability, a specific learning disability. However, mm-hmm. it is considered another in in the IDEA, which is the Individuals Disability Education Act. Yep. ADHD is considered to be another medical condition that affects learning. Right. So you've got that. And then you move into to autism. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the, the thing is with autism is it can, there are lots of people that uh, maybe are ADHD or dysgraphic. And you look and say, well, that person's autistic. But there's a completely different set of, of tests yeah. that you have to do with people that are autistic uh, to, to figure that out. Um, I mean, and then you move into you've got students that have auditory processing issues which means mm-hmm. that they either they ha- they're hard of hearing or their brain does not process auditory signals well you have visual processing um, disability where your eyes for whatever reason don't process well mm-hmm. um, and I would encourage you so um, for for youth workers and I've told guys this before and and women uh, you yep. can go to LDAA, so it's the Learning Disabilities Association of America, um, and they've got just massive amounts of easy-to-read information to understand a little bit better about what specific learning disabilities look like. And they even have, they've got ADHD on there, they have autism on there. So even if it doesn't nice nice and neatly fit yeah. under a learning disability, it does have most of the major um, mild to moderate uh, disabilities that affect learning. Awesome. And yeah, so I'll link that in the show notes below yeah. if, if people want to check that out. It's just an easy one to go to and, yeah. and look. But so one of the issues that we have as, as, as youth leaders is that all of these disabilities are different mm-hmm. and they all require different um, accommodations in the church. Mm -hmm. So uh, like, for instance, somebody that's dyslexic, that's not a person that you need to call on to read scripture um, in a small group setting. It's just not because they have trouble reading written word. I will say though, you version, which is the Bible app that most people use actually in late 2020 included, um, open dyslexic font on their Bible. Oh, they did. So they actually, yes, they actually have, there is a font that dyslexic people can read easier than normal font. And they actually included that on the Bible app at the end of 2020. So, um, 
you know, people that are dysgraphic, they're going to have a hard time writing. So at handing them a pen and saying, hey, go write on the board, they're going to struggle with that. Yeah. Um, you know, people that are autistic, a lot of times, you know, they'll blurt out, they'll say things. I, I think, at least for us, one of the big things we have to do is just do the surface level um, reading yep. to understand what all these different things are. Yeah. And then try and lead our leaders to understand them. And a lot of that is, yeah, hey, man, maybe you need to get your leaders together for a 15 or 20-minute meeting and explain these. But as we, as parents and students, become more comfortable with disclosing their invisible disability, their invisible learning disability, um, they will begin disclosing that to you or Mm -hmm. to a small group leader. And as you do that, that gives you a more targeted way to begin to read up on, hey, this is what's going on, and yeah. this is how I can help them in the classroom. Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, for us is um, most of our churches have educators, right? Yeah. Have public school or private school yep. educators, yep. which are required by law, whether they do it or not, that's a different question, but are required by law to follow 504 plans or IEPs. Yeah. So if a student comes in and they say, hey, my student has Asperger's syndrome, which is autism, you can go to an educator and ask, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. How do I how do I deal with this in a large group setting? How do I deal with this in a small group setting? And they'll at least be able to give you general educational um mm-hmm. things that you can do to help yeah. aid that student. But I think above all, like for us, I think one of the things that we do wrong a lot of times in the church is we treat those students like second-class citizens. Yeah. Like we do, and so do other students. Yeah. So I think every student ministry, every couple of years at least, should do some type of teaching series about the diversity in the kingdom of God, right? Mm -hmm. And include not just the big hot button issues, but also include disabilities as one of those yeah, teaching that's areas. That's a great point. But and it's not just learning disabilities, it's also physical yeah. disability. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the thing is we don't because we don't talk about it, the average church member does not uh feel comfortable disclosing. Yeah. Because they don't know how we're gonna react to them disclosing. Right. So I guess um, this is part of what I'm thinking is I don't think most students mean to make mm-hmm. um, students with disabilities feel less than or other. Um, I think most students just do their thing. Yep. You know, they're they're just they're just doing what they're doing. Um, and I wonder how often do are we as youth leaders kind of in the same camp? And um, it, it's not an intentional ignorance or overlooking um but but it's real right so I, in scope of just normal youth group life are are there any practical suggestions you could offer um the things that maybe you've adopted um in your cycle of just your program and how you structure small groups and anything like that that maybe we could keep in mind so 
and I, we, we have a population of students in our student ministry. So over 15% of our student ministry has some type of learning disability. So yeah. Down syndrome, autism, dyslexia, ADHD. Uh, I just want to say this about ADHD for a minute. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that look at a seventh grade boy that can't sit still and goes, he has ADHD. Yeah. Um, no, sometimes that's just a seventh grade boy. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, for us, we actually have a seating area in the back yep. for our students that have like severe ADHD and autism yeah. so that they can remove themselves from the craziness. Yeah. Because it's just overstimulating. Yeah. Um, I do also want to throw this in about ADHD. If you have a fridge in your student center, buy the little cans of Coke <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah. Yeah. I know. If y'all have noticed, this is actually my fifth cup of coffee today and yeah. I'm not jittery. Um, yeah. It's because caffeine affects the ADHD brain completely opposite it's as totally it does true. the neurotypical brain. Yeah. And so if you have a student that you know has ADHD and they can't sit still, give them a little Coke. I guarantee with you they'll permission. With parents' permission. <laughs> yep. Yep. But it'll it'll calm them down a little bit yeah. because it's actually a sedative versus a, a stimulant. So yeah. you know, we have students, any of our students that have dyslexia, and we know uh we make sure that with parent peru approval. We make sure that mm -hmm. the small group leaders know so that that student uh, doesn't get asked like, hey, yeah. Stephen, will you read? Um, yeah. So, and they're willing, they can step up if they feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and we actually have a dyslexic student that reads every week in his small group. Yeah, that's incredible. And I asked him why. And he said, because the guys in my small group love me. Yeah. And this is a 12th grade guy saying, yep. mm -hmm. the guys in my small group love me. How many 12th grade guys do you know yeah. say, hey, other 12th grade guys love me? Yeah. Um, but that also happens because he chooses, not because he's that, forced by the teacher. That's exactly right. And right. that and the teacher gives him that option. Yeah. He says, hey, yeah. Stephen, hey, if you want to, if you want to read, just raise your hand. And he does. He feels yep. comfortable enough to yeah. do that. Um, you know, and it's I, I think for us, um, a lot of times we lead groups. Mm -hmm. um, we lead even even like if you have a student ministry yeah. worship service, you lead that the way that your brain works. Mm -hmm. And for us, I mean, even just from like introvert, extrovert kind of, of standpoint, and we have to begin to understand that not everybody is in the same boat as us um, and, and begin to educate small group leaders and say, Hey, um, you know, you have a, you have a diverse group of learners in your small group. So, um, it may not work with everybody. Yeah. And for us too, one thing I uh, attempt to do is as families begin to disclose learning disabilities, uh, I sit down with the parents and we have a conversation yeah. about, okay, what works with your student? What doesn't work? And yep. then we attempt as much as we can to make accommodations for that student. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good word, right? So, um, and this is something I was thinking about as we were preparing um, for the conversation. Uh, my wife, uh, Tracy, is incredible, of course. 
And she is a special ed director um, in public schools, right? So uh, one of the things that she is always a huge advocate of is just having a fidget bin, right? Like give kids something silent that doesn't draw attention that they can fidget with. Um, that's not a problem. That's not distracting. Like if other kids want one who don't have ADHD, then fine. Just like have a bunch of fidgets. If you need to ask Mm. parents for donations of fidget toys, guess what? Parents will do that. Like have something available, let kids get up and walk around in the back of the classroom. Like try to set up your class so that there's space. So if your kid needs to get up and stretch their legs, then let them. If they need to get up and go for a short walk to the bathroom, like maybe that's not just them trying to get out of your classroom and, oh, well, they're going to miss this like five minutes of class and that's going to, they're just trying to get, like, don't assume the worst. Like maybe they just need to get up and stretch their legs so then they can come back and focus in again. Like that's okay. We actually... We actually have way more rolly and spinny chairs than mm-hmm. we need because yeah. we have ADHD kids yeah. that will get in a spinny chair. Yep. And the only rule is you can't roll the chair around the room, yep. but you can move within like a three or four foot box. Yep. And they do, yep. and they pay attention. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of Just physics, set them up in the back like, of the room, right? Not in the front, yeah. right? I mean, and yeah. that's fine. That's totally fine. Because they're not bothering anybody else by doing that, but their being in that chair allows them to learn. Yeah. Um, And there's a kid, I'm I'm telling you, there's a kid in our student center and our student worship services just constantly spinning. And that's fine. Yep. Yep. Because he can tell you everything that we said the whole service. Yeah. And if you're annoyed by it, then everyone else will be annoyed by it. But if you're not annoyed by it and you're okay with it, then people will be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we have a kid that is autistic that answers every question, Mm -hmm. whether you're, whether you want an answer (laughs) or not. Yeah. Um, And, and you just, we're just okay with it. And the students yeah. are okay with it. They know he's going to raise his hand in the back and you just roll with it. Yeah. And it's okay. Like you have to, I mean, here's the thing. You have been given a flock of people, both parents and students to shepherd. You don't get to pick who's in the flock. God yeah. does that for you. But yeah. he gives you people that you can learn how to shepherd. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's really what learning disabled students need and want is they yeah. want someone to love them and to shepherd them. Yeah, it's true. All right. So time is running out and I think we could have yep. this conversation for twice as much time as, as we have space for. So I have an important question about how do we support parents of, of students with uh, with special needs, because I think that's incredibly important. But before we get to that question, um, can you just give us uh, maybe just, I know this is way too short of a time, but can you just give us maybe two minutes on um, how do we serve students with more severe um, disabilities who who will struggle to attend and participate in, in specific youth ministry programming and camps and retreats and things like that. 
um, how can how can youth workers minister to to more severely disabled students? I I think that they do this in public schools. They try and mainstream those students as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize that you're not going to be able to mainstream them 100%. Like we yep. have a student that has Down syndrome. So we have a leader who is incredible with more severe disabilities. Yeah. And he hangs out with that student the whole time on Sunday morning and the whole time on Wednesday night. Yeah. He will tell you that he has a flock of one that he shepherds, <laughs> which is great. I love that. I which love is that. exactly what I want him to do. Yes. And that student comes in for worship and will stay as long as he can in the high school big group teaching time. Um, but when he starts getting antsy, they leave and they go and play on the playground. And that's fine. We don't have an mm-hmm. issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you also have to realize that there are students that are not going to be able to participate in everything. And I think a lot of times we feel really bad about that, but that family already has come to that realization. Right. And whatever you can include them in is going to be a blessing to them. Um, Whatever you can without the parents having to be there is a respite to the parents. Yeah. Even if it's just 40 minutes of student worship, that's 40 minutes that those parents get to go to an adult Bible study. Mm -hmm. Because most of the parents that have more severely disabled students, because of the way that life happens, they feel like they have to be with their student, you know, 24 seven. All the time. Yeah. And if you can give them a respite, and you can provide even 45 minutes a week of ministry for that student by by him or herself, mm-hmm. man, that is going to show the love of Christ to those parents yeah. and to that student more than anything else you could ever do. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, and this is theological ministry, right? I mean, so, I mean, someone might be looking at this thinking, why is youth pastor theologian talking about special needs and special education? And um, Because it, it really is foundational to what does it mean to be a human being um, and to be created in the image of God. Um, and we we don't just teach theology, right? Youth pastor theologian isn't just about like stand up front and teach systematic theology, but how does theology and how does our doctrine shape the way we do pastoral ministry among students and their families. And um, really, uh, the, the special needs conversation is, is an uh, anthropological conversation. It's about what does it mean to be a person um, and a, a theology of spiritual formation, too. Um, as I was talking with my wife this morning before we recorded, uh, she she was saying she said two things that I think are, are worth our conversation before we close out. And she was saying how um, a, a very high number of marriages end in divorce who have um, students who have a, a, di- a special needs diagnosis, especially a more severe uh, diagnosis. Uh, the, the divorce rate is very, very high. Uh, the other thing she pointed out was that in her experience as a special educator, uh, the parents 
grieve their kid's diagnosis every few months. Um, that every retreat that their kid can't go to, every concert their kid can't perform in, every situation uh, where their kid is misunderstood or other kids who are the same age pass another milestone that their kid doesn't pass is a fresh wound of about just their kid being different. Um, and so it, it's a, a real, as you said earlier, um, special needs ministry is family ministry. And, and how are we serving and ministering to these parents? Uh, so what recommendation, what recommendations do you have for us about how can we encourage and support parents of special needs students? And I, I want to give this disclaimer up front. So I am speaking as a veteran youth pastor, right? But I'm also speaking it as a dad of a special needs son. Um, mm-hmm. So... I, you know, there's a lot of people that say, well, do you really understand? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I not only live this at church, but I live it at home too. Um, and, and I think with what you said about grieving, uh, mm. I think for parents, one of the biggest issues for them is, is my kid accepted? Yeah. Is my kid accepted? Um, and for parents that believe in Jesus, I think for them, they want, they realize that my kid is probably not going to be accepted on the sports field if they play sports at all. Not going to be accepted necessarily in the band. Definitely not going to be accepted in the school. Um, but where's the one place that I want my kid to feel some acceptance is at church. Because, mm-hmm. because of the theology that I laid out earlier uh, in this conversation. Yeah. And I think that, um, for us and for parents, it's important to help them understand that God didn't mess up when he made your kid. Yes. That God didn't mess up when he gave you your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that God has prepared you to raise a child that's different. Um, but even more importantly, no matter what is going on, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much you grieve, you have a savior in heaven that loves you, that loves your child, and mm-hmm. is wanting you to reach out to him with your problems. Yeah. And is going to help you walk through it. Like I, I can tell you with my own son, there are definitely areas that I wish he was better in, like more normal but man, I, I tell you, like, <laughs> he is brilliant and reads his Bible, like, just constantly. And th- he, there are times that he knows more about the Bible than I do. Mm-hmm. And I have three degrees. <laughs> and, and I think for a lot of parents, they overlook the blessings of having a neurodivergent child and yeah. only focus on the drawbacks. Yeah. And I would just tell parents, man, look, rest in the blessing that God has provided you with in that child. Mm -hmm. Because if you only focus on the negatives, um, man, you you are going to be depressed and down all the time. Yeah. 
if you if and and your wife is right about the divorce rate because a lot of parents just theologically, psychologically, emotionally just cannot handle parenting those children. Yeah. Like your marriage it takes a toll. Yeah. So for us, let me and let me encourage y'all to do this. For parents that have that are willing to disclose, put them all in a room together and let them talk and pray for each other. Mm. Because we talk about the body of Christ, the community of the body of Christ, yeah. but those parents feel alienated. Yeah. And that no one understands. So if you put them in a room together and then with a theological bent to turn to Christ, to pray for each other, man, you'll see those parents begin to blossom. Yeah. Incredible. Because they now realize they're not alone. Yeah. That's so good. Um, Brian, thank you so much for your brotherhood. Uh, thank you for your ministry and for joining us in, for this episode of Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. Um, is there any one final closing admonition that you want to share before we close out our conversation? I, I think that if you don't understand learning disabilities, you need to begin to even just five minutes a day, read, learn, ask. Mm -hmm. Like, if you know a family has got someone in the family has learning disabilities, yeah. begin to ask questions so that you can do a better job of being a shepherd for the flock that God has given you. Yeah. Do you have maybe one or two uh, book suggestions? I know you already mentioned LDAA.org. So go there. A any other resources? Yes. Um, uh, I would look up Amos Young, Y-O-N-G. Uh, he has written multiple books about, um, about disability. The Bible and the Church. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed his books. They're great. Um, so that's where I would start, is I would start with uh, Dr. Stephen Gersevich in his book, Mental Health and the Church, because he touches on it. Uh, and then I would look at Amos Young's uh, books, um, because those are really good primers and they're easy reads. Okay. All right. And, and I'll link all those in the show notes of this episode. So Brian, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Listeners, keep serving your students the gospel. It really is good news. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address, or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week.